sinners, choosers, lovers, dreamers, hypocrites, cynical bastards, and the Lenny. Welcome to Choose Your Own Religion. My name is Joe. This is a show where every week we talk about stuff in the religious and spiritual worlds. We make up religions. Thanks for tuning in this week once again. Have another good episode for you with my old stand-up friend, Devin Blake. This episode I was a little hesitant to release because we recorded it right after the election, that that very weekend after, so there's a good amount of election talk. Uh, if you're not interested in that, I want to skip through to like the 40-minute mark of this episode. Um, if you uh, are just jonesing for more political talk and thoughts and uh, want to hear some of the stuff freshly after the result, uh, you can definitely tune in, keep listening to more of that. Uh, I'm upset that I don't have anything planned for Christmas as far as my family uh, or friends and, and girlfriend gifts. I don't have any of that ready. I don't have anything ready for uh, this podcast. I'm, I'm very far behind. I feel like I should have something commemorating this podcast. I feel like I should do something special for it. Uh, we'll see. To be determined. But anyway, thanks for tuning in, guys. I love you all. If you like this show, chooseyourownreligion.com. I want a, a big goal of mine this next coming year is to, to beef that thing up, so we'll see about that. I can talk a big game. We'll see if I can I can back it up. Um, you can subscribe on Stitcher and iTunes. Leave a rating or review if you want to give me uh, any kind of a gift. Uh, just a rating or a review in this podcast would be sufficient enough. And uh, other than that, I love you guys. Thank you for listening. Please give it up for Devin Blake. Allow the soothing music and uplifting affirmations to center your heart and mind in an awareness of God's love. Wake up, my dear sinners. Wake up from your deep rest. Won't you say your prayers? Know that you are blessed. I love you, oh, but Jesus loves you the best, and I hope that you choose your own religion. So what's up, dude? Not much, man. Do you quake it up today? I did not quake it up. I have not quaked it up in a handful of months. But when when you do go, have you only gone to uh, see the Quaker one in Pasadena? Is that the only one you've gone yeah, to? Yeah, yeah, I, I really like that one. I love, I love it. Yeah, um, I've never been to a different gathering of that quote group of friends. Uh huh. Um, but I also have never been to an a structured meeting. So there are structured and unstructured. Oh really? Yeah. Wait, what's the structured one like? Uh from what I can tell, it's like the what people contribute or say is um, it's more it's relegated to specific portions of the the time there. Oh, gotcha! Like there's a time for sharing this. Yeah, and I think maybe there's a bigger premium on on elders. Mm. Um, you gotta like work your way up the ladder yeah, but, to get more stage time. Yeah, or I I don't yeah I don't know if it's like headliners yeah. uh, <laughs> and future acts, but um, I definitely know in structured groups that like the hierarchy of it comes into play a little bit more. Which, from my understanding of it, is like totally counter. It, that is totally counter to the way I've understood Quakers. So, yeah. you know, just with anything, there are just like minor little differences that 
dictate how you know yeah how people identify with it well even at the unstructured one because it's i mean the only quote-unquote uh i don't know format of that is just everybody sits in group meditation and then when you feel compelled to speak you speak yeah but even little stuff like after that then there's um 10 minutes of like announcements right 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 so i think maybe structured versus unstructured is just like it's even more uh there's like uneven kind of like more fine-grained agenda Mm -hmm. and it's like uh i mean even with the unstructured i feel like there's definitely some uh i mean i only went maybe what five times or so but Mm -hmm. there was uh i mean there's unspoken rules just like anything else right i mean even in don't they have like some pamphlet or something it's like don't chime in more than once more or less or like no i think it i think it's like um Basically, I think they're saying like, yes, often you're going to be moved to say multiple things (laughs) and, um, you know, it goes through waves of like a lot of people talking versus not a lot of people talking. Yeah. But I think it is saying like, you know, don't hog it. Don't, don't hog the time. Yeah. And you could definitely see some like, uh, intergroup politics going on and like there was one throwing shade there was one guy who was like very political or in trying to connect what he was doing with Quakers or his um, <clears throat> role in Quakers to um, uh, of political events. Yeah. Yeah. Like political awareness, not, not even political awareness, like, like actual Quaker related policy events mm. in DC. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I remember there was one Sunday where he had just gotten back from some big event and he got up and talked about how great it was and um, how inspired he was to see Quakers from all over the country. Mm -hmm. And then some other guy stood up like 20, 30 minutes later, so melodramatic and was like, (laughs) you could tell he was trying to force tears Yeah, and was like, (laughs) you know, the purpose of coming here and sharing is to is to not have the focus on yourself and your deeds but this is a, a sacred place for and then uh, he went and then oh, he went oh, oh. Like, <laughs> pretended like he was like about to faint or something oh my god basically saying like that's not the purpose of this this is this is more sacred and more intimate than whatever you're trying to use it for yeah you know people it's strange people are will find a way to voice themselves or like, you know, use even something like Quakerism to as a vehicle to express their like, you know, their axes that they have to grind. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I think I I was thinking about this just the other day. Like I, I simultaneously, uh, I enjoy that Facebook and things like that. Give everybody an outlet, a direct uh, way to like a platform. But that is the, that is the, the bad side of that is everybody, it because because whenever you express it and if you get a certain amount of validation through likes or whatever then everybody um i don't know you start getting too caught up in your own opinion and too like proud of it or some way i'm just glad i missed the uh this is the first one after the election mm-hmm. uh, the first sunday after the election i'm glad i missed the the quaker meeting right after the election cuz i feel like it would be a lot of yeah a lot of political uh yeah. histrionics yeah and about yeah i mean and they did this to some extent but like i was looking forward to a a, um 
some more a group that was a little bit more active politically mm-hmm. or in the, in the community and they it's not like they didn't do any of that but um uh it seemed to be it seemed to be and i think that this is a totally valid function but it seemed to be more therapeutic than mm. than action guided kind of like certain uh open mics yes exactly <laughs> yeah where that's more and i you know i am probably as guilty or one of the guiltiest of, of using it in that form even though i don't i don't feel that way as i'm doing it but it's uh i don't know i you know it's I, I do too. I don't know. I like that we have stand up as a medium to express your point of view, whatever that is. You just may not be satisfied with it if you're not trying to make it funny first and foremost. Yeah. Well, and also comedy has never been action oriented Yeah. or community oriented, you mm-hmm. know, which is a, a limitation of stand up. Something I've been thinking a lot about is, uh, you know, what really could you get out of like, what's the most you could get out of stand up politically? Like what's the most change you could affect? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. I mean, I think there's the, I ideally, uh, I think just to play the, I don't know, what's the, the strongest version. What there's, what's the opposite of a straw man. There's something like an iron. It's like, it's called something like iron something oh. where you play up the strongest version of the opposing sides argument. What? Like devil's advocate. It's not, de- it's like devil's advocate, but uh, this is a term I know Neil deGrasse Tyson has used before. It's, okay. it's called iron. Anyway, iron, it's not iron man, but it's, it's you, take, like, you, you try and give the opposing point of view, the, the biggest benefit of the doubt. Exactly. Yeah. And so doing that, it's the, uh, if you have a big enough, like stand up can maybe be a big enough platform to, perhaps change people's minds. You want, you know, I think a lot of people think of like, Oh, comedy has the ability to shift people's point of views. Like maybe Dave Chappelle, I heard, I read a post on Reddit just today about somebody talking about how they think Dave Chappelle did more for race relations than a lot of other people did just for the ability to have like typically maybe racist people or to, or, you know, people from backwards, uh, kind of situations they were able to laugh at and understand and relate to his comedy through that way. Now I'm skeptical how much that actually does, yeah, but that's the argument. I, I get that argument, but I I get that argument, but I think it would be. I mean, we'd really only know. I I don't know. You'd in order to answer that, you'd have to know how people change their minds about things. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's a good question. So does that mean? I mean, are you saying that that is your? Are you struggling with like how much to continue pursuing stand up because it's not action based or? No, I. No, I, it's just like, you know, I spent a lot of time thinking about stand-up and it it would just be a nice thing to understand or to, um, I wish there was an answer to that question and I just don't think that there is yet. I mean, there could be. The question of how much can stand-up enact change? Yeah, how much could you wring out a stand-up and an answer today might be different than an answer 50 years from now but like right now what is it yeah i don't know and i I guess it's also um and i think a a lot too about uh what what is my like there's a whole like old kierkegaard saying about uh your calling right where it's like it's where your greatest passion meets the world's greatest need Mm -hmm. something like that and whether it's maybe not even just passion beyond passion, like where, where do my greatest abilities meet the world's greatest needs? And mm-hmm. I think part of the, uh, yeah, that's part of the, the, the tough question is like, I could probably be 
I, I, I feel confident I could be more successful in other careers outside of stand-up than my current stand-up career is. Um, I'm not passionate about those other things. Mm-hmm. And it, But could I be doing more for the world by doing something else? Should I be doing more for the world? Or is expressing my point of view is in the development of my ability to express that point of view by bombing a lot, by struggling a lot, and then eventually bombing less, bombing less, bombing less, things like that. Is that, is the formulation of a point of developing that point of view actually, isn't that a positive good? Isn't that like a, a contribution to the greater political discussion and then once that once we have a certain discussion that's what action is based off of you mean stand-up grounds you and develops you as a person in a way that nothing else can and therefore it prepares you to participate in the world and in the community is that what you're saying sure yeah and it it, it allows you to um i don't know in your own tiny ripple of a way shape discourse and shape political thought i think that's a great idea i don't know how true it is (laughs) i don't know how true it is either um and i don't and i don't know it sounds maybe it sounds grandiose yeah and i think i don't know enough about like the history of satire to know like okay maybe that's been the most effective or like the most um yeah, the most effective type of comedy. Like, I don't know. Like, did Jonathan Swift have a real effect on, on, on yeah. his times? I don't know. See, that's part of my ignorance. Or is it just something in retrospect we ascribe more importance to right. it? Right. Yeah. Like. Or Lenny Shelton and free uh, speech. You mean Lenny Bruce? Lenny Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> Although Shout Len- out to Lenny Shelton. <laughs> Lenny Shelton has done some good work. I love Lenny Shelton, yeah. but Lenny Bruce is definitely who I meant. Um. <laughs> Like how much are we saying retrospectively that Lenny Bruce is, has done versus was he actually a pioneer of free speech? I mean, people seem to think he was within stand up for for certain, and I guess within yeah, just um, greater society, yeah, free speech in general. But um, then, like, it was like, is is that him just like saying these things in a public place? does that necessarily have anything to do with stand-up? Right. Well, I mean, in his idea, it did. He had lots of, uh, a lot of it wasn't quote unquote, like hilarious or super funny. I don't know if you've watched it, how much of his old stand-up you've watched. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it is not very funny. <laughs> it's not a lot, a lot of last per minute, not a lot of last per minute. Um, which isn't necessarily the only barometer. Right, man. Maybe but. that's, yeah, maybe that's just our modern barometer. But there were for sure. I guess let's let's be a little bit further. There were for sure jokes. You can, yeah. It 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 makes sense as a stand-up set. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh. I guess. But then that goes back to like, okay, that's grand. But now, but, and that ground has been uh, created. But then, where does that leave us right now? Sure. I mean, I, yeah, and I hear you doubling down on like cynicism and sort of skepticism towards this. Um, maybe I'm wrong there, but uh, I feel, I guess this is something that's been on my mind too, even with the recent election. I feel like comedy, and this is just my personal take, that uh, comedy has not done a good enough job policing liberalism because there's so many comedians that are identified as liberal. I'm one of them. And 
I think part of the issue is that when you like, I don't know. I I like thinking of comedy as the outsiders, as the outside point of view, as the the thing that ideally, especially as stand-ups, we're we I think we should be. I know using the word "should" is always dangerous territory, but uh, I like when comedy calls out hypocrisy on, on both sides. And I felt like it has not been. Uh, I don't know. It's it's not been a, a very strong. Um, it's not been a very good climate conducive to calling out any any kind of liberal thought for a long time. That's true. Yeah. And I think that's an aspect where comedy could. That again contribute to a greater political action is by saying, well, through the medium of comedy, through the medium of being able to make fun of certain aspects of it, can we then have a more, a better idea of where where to go politically? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but also, you have the issue of of like what is, what medium that's taking so. Like we for certain for certain heard much edgier, much more like a truly uh, politically motivated stand up at uh, the worst open mics. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's people who have no influence in any sphere at all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so nobody cares what they're saying. Right. Uh, but take somebody like John Oliver or something where somebody, you know, a liberal would point to him and say, look, he's a, he's a liberal voice criticizing both parties, but, um, he would never get away with criticizing, um, Viacom. Right. And, and it's role in, in, you know, it's, it's role in monopolizing definitely resources and it's, uh, its interest pursuing its interest so um i think you're right i think to the extent that there's a liberal critique coming from comedy it's still accepting overall uh has is serving the the corporate interests that i think we're both agreeing needs to be criticized totally totally and so you know then then part of maybe trying to understand what effect comedy can have part of that is understanding like okay it's never going to be on comedy central that <laughs> kind of critique is never going to come from comedy central yeah um and so maybe it's about adjusting one's expectations for for what kind of change comedy can bring sure well as we were talking too about before this podcast even just about podcasts in general any kind of decentralized medium like this um, and in anything that's not behold. I mean, that's the, the great hope of, I think the internet and those of independent artists who are able to survive by their own means and outside of corporate entities, there's less corporate gay corporate gatekeepers have less power than they ever have had. They still have a significant amount of power, but that power has dwindled significantly. I would say, I mean, would you agree or no? Um, no, <laughs> uh, but then it sounds like your response to what I'm saying is 
yeah, well, it's not going to be Comedy Central, but it could be podcasts. Yeah, I just don't. Th- I don't see it as a reason to give up on comedy because no, the current no, no, comedy no, 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 no. doesn't criticize. It was never a reason to, an argument to give up on comedy. It was like, well, what is it? Can we expect from comedy? What should there have been a role that comedy was playing leading up to this election and beforehand, obviously, that it wasn't or that it yeah. could have? Yeah. Um, okay, so are there podcasts that you think are doing what you're describing? Um, I don't know. I even like as silly, I mean, <laughs> as silly as it sounds, like I just even heard, uh, Rogan's podcast right after the election with Burt Kreischer. Just, I don't know. I, I have enjoyed a lot of, uh, like Rogan, Bill Burr, um, kind of guys that are already, and they have the advantage of being already having a huge audience mm-hmm. and having their own security. They can exist outside of the corporate system. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they probably do have to sacrifice some TV gigs. They would have otherwise sacrificed some some paid writing stuff that they. But overall, they're going to be fine. Um, and I've I've heard them be pretty. Uh, I would say even-handed in dishing out shit to both sides. In a way that I haven't heard a lot of people. And it, it, it's tough. It's tough, especially to people who don't have that audience or people who are trying to make it in Hollywood when Hollywood is such a such a liberal institution out here. Okay. Um, but then again, then comes the, the question of just like with the Quakers, is it, are these podcasts that you're describing more therapeutic or is it like uh, action oriented? I also think Americans have such a little, have, have such poor understanding of what it means to be civically connected or civically active. Mm-hmm. And so yeah are these podcasts just doing what those quaker meetings are doing where it's therapeutic rather than action oriented it's like congratulating each other yeah echo chambery i really don't think we need i don't i think everybody is so much more aware of themselves and who they are and and they've got like they've plumbed the depths of themselves in a way that previous generations just did not have the vocabulary or the time for. So I think so many people like the, it seems like the majority of podcast consuming audience are like scholars of themselves. <laughs> and it's like, I, I don't, we don't need any more of that. We don't need more like, um, let's, let's use, well, I guess you're saying something different. I, I read this split sider article that was like, uh, let's use podcasts to help us get through this sad time. Look at all these. Yeah, podcasts. I saw that article. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't read it, but I uh, saw it. Yeah. And I feel like we do not need more of a reason to nurse ourselves. Mm. Um, and you know, to the extent that you're not paying attention, to the extent that you're paying attention to your inside, you're not paying attention to the outside, and that that I think is a big part of um, why we f- why. What was in- interesting? One of the things that was really interesting to me about the results of the election is that I don't think Trump believed a lot of what he was saying. Oh, hell no. Uh, because he's a pragmatist and he's a businessman. So he was just selling himself the entire time. Yeah. But what is shocking is that there were so many people who were okay believing that he was believing that. (laughs) And so, and I was, I was shocked that he won. And, but the reasons that I was shocked are also the reasons why people voted for Trump which is they do not understand each other, you know? Totally. Um, and so 
we don't need anything that's going to make us turn inward anymore because we that's just that is not going to help me understand people i disagree with absolutely man i mean i i i couldn't agree with you more that we don't understand each other and i mean i i felt that i made i made a speaking of uh self-congratulatory Facebook posts. I made one just kind of speaking to my own experience growing up in rural North Carolina, small town, very conservative area. But, um, I don't know. There, there's, there's so many good hearted conservative people out there. There's so many people that are, that I don't, I truly don't perceive as racist or sexist. Maybe they don't, uh, they're not used to speaking, like being as careful with their language. Maybe they don't interact with, um, enough people to have like enough people from different cultures to have that direct empathy to say like, Oh, maybe I should Mm -hmm. curtail some of my language, uh, and certain things, but they wouldn't, um, I don't know. They're, they're, they're people that have, that care about their families a lot, that care about their communities and their local communities a lot that, I mean, that's, uh, like they, that's sort of where a lot of the distrust of federal government comes from is they, they trust their local communities more than that. That's what the, that's the world they know and love. And I think, I think a big problem has been that disconnect and that there's been a talking at each other or making fun of each other from a distance, not even talking at each other anymore. It's, it's the echo chambers. It's the, like, let's feel sad together. Let's not talk with, (laughs) let's not even try to assume anything any kind of uh, good faith from the other side. Right. You know? Right. And comedy is not known for shedding light on, uh, it's never being critical. I mean, it is a critical machine, which is different than, Hey, let's see the merits in an opposing point of view. Yeah. That's what I mean. I think it, it both, the way it's actually worked out and kind of like what like the how comedy works like the the mechanism of comedy yeah yeah is that even a mechanism that can be used for that i i mean i i hear what you're saying i think vast majority is that way i that's why i think i'm so uh i don't know that's why i'm a huge fan of bill burr is that he's the master of presenting a point of view that I think a lot of us are instinctually not inclined to agree with. And then he lays out some logic and maybe it's, maybe we're partially laughing at that. It's kind of fucked up logic, but there is a logic to that point of view. Um, and I don't, so in that way I, I see him criticizing liberal thought and liberal sort of like mm-hmm. normal thinking all the time. And so maybe we just need more of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I don't know. It, it's so easy to, it's gotten so tribal, you know, and it's gotten so, I mean, this is, it's all echo chamber stuff. It's all tribalism. It's all, um, crit making out people to be an other when I don't think there is a true other, right? you know? Right. <laughs> no, keep going. No, that's fine. I, sometimes it's like, a. <laughs> I just, yeah. It's fine. I agree. No, I mean, I mean, I think in a way saying there is no real other is also the same thing as saying there are an infinite amount of others. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Um, yeah, there's a concept in um, 
and like in certain strands of Buddhism about relative truth versus absolute truth. So in the relative truth sense, yes, there is a course and other, there is a left versus right. There's a real meaningful difference between right-wing politics and left-wing politics and right and, and different people, different abilities, different, whether we want to call athletic abilities, mental abilities, obviously there are tangible differences between us. Um, but there's an absolute truth, which contains that, and, and I don't know, maybe, maybe transcends it, maybe transcend is too strong of a word, but, um, and I think that's what a lot of religions, uh, are trying to get to in their, and their best form is that, is that the same thing that Martin Luther King talks about? Is that same thing that ideally is what liberal thought is, is promoting when we talk, when we slam against racism and sexism is that we are all the same deep down that we are all cut from the same cloth and that we deserve every man, every woman has the same equal inherent value. And so we have to protect minorities, even though they may be on a relative truth, like different from us. Right. You're going to find a way to disagree. No, no. <laughs> I feel like I've been agreeing uh, for the most part. Uh, I don't, that's interesting. I feel like the opposite. <laughs> I feel like, okay, I feel like there on a, on a uh, words level, maybe you're agreeing, but to- I feel emotionally, tonally. No, 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 no. You disagree no, no. with me. No. Um, and I don't know how to get in that, that heart of yours, Devin Blake. You're already here. <laughs> You've been here for so long. I know. No, this is, I feel like you can say in a million different ways for a million different reasons, we're different. And you can also do that with saying we're the same. But it's like, and you can harness those for, for political ends. You know, I mean, Trump said all essentially all white working class people are the same. Mm-hmm. And what one of the things that makes you the same is that you've been cheated, mm-hmm. uh, and you've been cheated by Clinton, right? Um, so that's like a, but he definitely was not saying that about Muslims, you know? Sure, sure. Um, so I think you can do that. I think it's. I don't think that that thought of we're all the same or we're all different is like a is a destination or a conclusion because you can mix and match that idea in, a, in an infinite amount of ways. So, um, I mean, uh, on a certain level, I don't think understanding human, human nature or making claim about human nature is really ever going to help you politically. You don't think so? Because of that reason. You can say we're the same, but we're all different. But all at the end, we are all the same because we're different. You know what I mean? Like you can keep <laughs> doing it back and forth. Sure, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't. That's what I don't think there's anything. Hey, let me put it this way: I don't think there's any phil, anything philosophically at stake in the end in trying to come up with an answer to that question because you can you can um, ultimately say whatever you need to say at that point um and have good reasons for saying it mm-hmm. um now what that has to do with comedy or what role comedy can play in that again is still unclear to me see i can't be disagreeing with you because i'm not really even sure what to think i mean it's, <laughs> it's me trying to figure out yeah i guess um 
and maybe that's where i don't know i don't know if this is even directly related to what what you were talking about but um i think comedy's role in that and also i agree that both sides do the exact same thing both sides are privy to the same uh in thinking in group thinking and that type of thing but since comedy has the advantage or the the uh not the advantage, but the uh, position of being mostly <laughs> a lot of by and for liberals, a lot of it, not all of it, but a lot of it, uh, it has an ability to have the conversation within its own tribe in a way that they can't with the other side. Like if I come to you and saying like, hey, we do agree on these core values. We do agree even politically. Mm-hmm. So maybe you'll listen to me because I'm on your team versus the other team. Listen to, to you about what, though, if, if well, we're on the I mean, team. about whatever the fuck. Okay. When I crit- if yeah. I want to criticize Hillary Clinton right. instead of saying you're a sexist, right. et cetera. Which is, I, to, to me, that's the craziest thing, is that we, we got to a point where there are people, there are voices within comedy who say you, you were the only reasons to oppose Hillary are, are sexist. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. So I don't know. Maybe that's that's where comedy, comedy can play. But you said you were thinking about a podcast too to kind of pivot this. Mm-hmm. What was your podcast, or what's your what? Do you have a? No, I just like talking. <laughs> just the conversate, good old conversations. Yeah, sitting down and talking. It makes me feel good. So do you think there's any greater thing beyond that than just feeling good, or is there a, is there like a for podcasts or for me yeah. thinking about starting one? Um, well, from the point of view of what's, do you think there's a purpose? Why, why do we like conversations in general? I mean, why are we so driven to that? Is it just a pure, like, I don't know, biological, sociological thing that we, we just have always, like, it just feels good for. Well, we also spend a lot of time talking to ourselves too. Yeah. Uh, like an internal monologue. I don't know. I just think it's, um, what it is to have a brain yeah so you don't think there's any kind of greater like i don't know uh universal <laughs> like spiritual reason beyond that or is it just it's just a feel-good thing um i don't think those are two different things really um you know if it satisfies some biological urge yeah then it's gonna be good and every and in, in like the way that sneezing is do you consider yourself spiritual? No. No. I'm not even really sure what people mean when they say that. Yeah. So you're just inherently distrusting spirituality. Uh, I don't distrust it because I think it ends up serving these kind of like therapeutic functions. Yeah. So I don't distrust it, but I think it, um, when it becomes when you can't penetrate it with conversation, then I think it becomes dangerous. Yeah. When it kind of becomes meaningless. I mean, that's sort of what you were getting at. I think earlier with, yeah, uh, exactly. Everything is, yeah. <laughs> everything is different and that's the difference in everything. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Yeah. And I don't, I definitely don't like, I mean, I just had Claudio on recently. Oh yeah. Our good friend Claudio and he's so not spiritual. Yeah. Um, how was old Claude? Oh, it's great. He's great. Um, but I think what I loved about him and being decidedly not spiritual 
is okay. So to me, I my working definition. I've said it a million times on this on this podcast. For any anybody who's like a regular listener to this, they'll have heard me say it a lot. But uh, it's one Sam Harris, great atheist, <laughs> capital G, great atheist. Uh, he uses it as um, spirituality being that which makes us remember the feeling we call I is an illusion, and okay. so that our ego construct is in some way while it's real in a, in a relative sense, it's also fake in an absolute sense. So that's where the everything again, going, maybe that's a meaningless argument, but I think it has a, I think it has a meaningful stake on how we view our reality is that yes, there is a me here. There's a me that wanted to start this podcast. That's having this conversation with you. There's one that's going to go to the store There's one that's going to like kiss my girlfriend later and things like that. But then on another level, um, I don't know. There, I consciousness has created this little narrative and this little story when it doesn't necessarily inherently exist beyond just whatever the con- my consciousness has created. You know what I'm saying? Okay. And so I think ideally that's what spiritual, any kind of spiritual practice. And that's why I feel as strongly that lots of religions can share that common spiritual practice in common. They just go about it through different mechanisms. Mm-hmm. So with Christianity, it might be more about like subjecting your ego to a greater authority that is God mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, through Zen, it might be saying strip out all the extra shit mm-hmm. that, and then part of that is your ego and then and Buddhism too. It's like all this extra layers. That's, that's all they are is extra layers. There's a deeper thing underneath that. Mm-hmm. And maybe that thing is just emptiness. Maybe it's just nothingness. I mean, do you feel that? Do you feel like an emptiness pervading Devin Blake's existence? No. No. Um, I mean, I feel sad a, a lot. <laughs> nah, man. Emptiness can be great. Emptiness can be a lot of fun. I think we think it has to be sad, but I don't think it has to be sad. Um... But you don't feel empty, so it's it's irrelevant. As, okay, so spirituality is something is a way to get to the realization or the moment or the feeling of feeling of not feeling bound by um, these arbitrary made up limitations. Yeah, it's remembering the story of your life is just a fun story on some level. It's Ooh, not, you know. I like that. I like put it, hearing it that way. Yeah. Remembering the story of your life is just a fun story. Yeah. That's how I like to think of it. Um, Not always fun, though. And sometimes we, when we're caught up in depression, as I have definitely been, it's part of that is forgetting that it's just a story or believing that the story is has this greater weight to it and that becomes cyclical. For me, whenever I've been in depressive funks, it's like, everything has so much weight and gravity to it mm-hmm. and seriousness. Oh, I see what you mean more by empty. Yeah. Or kind of like a, like a purged feeling. Yeah. Well, there's a, uh, you know, Ram, you know, Ram Dass, I've, I've probably talked to you maybe before about Ram Dass. Maybe I haven't, but he talks, he has this great, he's a, <laughs> he's a great um, spiritual thinker teacher he was one of the original kind of pioneers of the psychedelic movement back in the brilliant harvard psychologist who sort of like gave all that up to go to india 
uh, study under Guru, and then he came back to the West. Anyway, he's uh, he talks he has a talk about or, or just a, a metaphor for it of emptiness and how it can lead to compassion. It doesn't have to lead to nihilism even, and how if you see an inherent emptiness in everything, right? Like there's a there's an emptiness under myself. There's an emptiness under while I have all these objects in my room, the glass, the mixing board, the microphones. And I see an emptiness in that when I see an emptiness in there's like a, like a story of like a cat bringing like a dead bird to his doorstep. Right. Mm -hmm. The emptiness allows you to, when you see it and feel an emptiness in everything that also allows you to have compassion for everything simultaneously. And the compassion arises in the emptiness of it all. Okay. And it's when you believe too strongly in the absolute reality of difference that it's harder and harder to have compassion for anything. Okay. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I didn't explain it nearly as eloquently as a as that dude, but um so you could ask that same question. Could you ask that same question? Do I feel spiritual as do I feel compassion? Can you induce spirituality by be doing compassionate things? Uh, some people definitely think so. I mean, that's a version of yoga for some people. Yeah, I definitely see merit in that. Sometimes it works the from the inside out and sometimes it works from the outside in. And, and um, you know, I think obviously some, some people are, are much better or more have a... Um, a more compassionate disposition. So it often yeah. comes from the inside. Um, but, uh, especially at the job I'm doing working in homeless services, uh, you know, I'm a much more combative, impatient, angry person <laughs> than a lot of people that are in this field. Yeah. Um, but to like be in situations where uh, I can immediately do something tangible for somebody, even if it's having like a five minute conversation or getting them like a yogurt or something, you know, yeah, what yeah. I mean? um, it does induce what you're describing that emptiness. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I, you know, I should have asked you earlier about that stuff. Cause I, I, I want to keep asking you more about your, mm -hmm. your work in that, that field. And I, I think maybe that's the going back to like this idea of emptiness, even within the, your role there, when we try to ascribe like, Oh, it's wrong for, uh, for Devin, the homeless worker to be angry. He shouldn't be angry. He shouldn't be impatient. He shouldn't like, this is what you're supposed to be in this field. You're supposed to be a super compassionate, nice, a uh, passive type personality, but you, you being what your natural self is, is fulfilling. And probably if I had to guess is helping actually achieve the goals of that, at least in your way, better than you could by pretending to be not you. Right. And so there's like, there is a, there's not an inherent value toward like your version of love expresses itself through impatience and yet in your role there. Or overcoming impatience. Okay. So you don't even, you don't see it as a thing that you're working through, but you're overcoming impatience through it. Or do you, do you see it as, cause I, I could see it. That's how I, I was I, picking I, it up. I, if, okay. I, uh, or like, let's say like lazy or selfish instincts. I have to discipline those and curb those in order to um, help uh, these people properly. Sometimes. Oh, I got what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, 
and that's not to say that those are all my instincts and it's also not to say that um that everybody in the field is super compassionate you know everyone is still a a three-dimensional limited person with their own strengths and weaknesses um but for me kind of doing that work uh does bring a kind of um uh once i can kind of curb myself and discipline myself and not just this work but in like doing the dishes at home yeah yeah um being useful for some somebody else yeah having having a way to deny myself or deny my instincts or urges yeah i think brings what you're sort of describing absolutely it it, totally that's something that um within hindu thinking it's like those are different there's four main types of yoga and i can't remember all of them one is heart yoga which is you're you're focusing purely on compassion Mm -hmm. as one way there's the sort of more meditative like that kind of yoga by quieting and through an intellectual sort of understanding Mm -hmm. the realization that I is an illusion, that type of thing. But another one that you are tapping into right now is the the service Mm -hmm. and the selfless action. That's the one Gandhi promoted uh, was doing works for other people. And that's exactly what you're describing. Who's that? Uh, (laughs) It's this guy. He's some Indian dude. You probably haven't heard of him, but uh, yeah, he's a, Exactly. It's, it's that overriding your selfish instincts to stay. I mean, and personally, I don't have, I have not had that gene. And I, sh- that's something that I say a lot and I tell myself a lot that I should volunteer more. But that's what I mean earlier too, is that Americans just don't know how to connect civically. Yeah. And it's, you're not taught that. There right. are no, did you take a civics class? No. Yeah. They just got, they just eliminated that <laughs> curriculum. Yeah. Well, and, and uh, for me, I mean, I got some of that through my church was, uh, you know, the idea of doing mission work was very important in my church. And I went on some mission trips and uh, doing things for the community were definitely important. Um, and that's sort of the shame of, uh, of maybe, I don't know if to me, like America having maybe a, a, a distaste for religion now um, especially you know, not to circle everything back onto criticizing the left, which I, I love, but uh, the left right now doesn't seem to love religion a whole lot. A lot of people on the left don't. Um, and so it's sort of a baby with the bathwater thing. A lot of the times yeah. it's like, well, I would, <laughs> I grew up religion, but I learned it in this, this context that is not satisfying to me anymore. Um, and I don't trust, I don't trust religion anymore. And so therefore um, I don't, like I, I don't think of any of the the lessons from it, including things like volunteering or the civics. Right. Yeah. So. Well, and that also, it sounds like <coughs> what you're saying too is like, um, liberals not understanding the difference between religion and the church. Mm-hmm. You know, and and. Oh, for, conservatives are fucking guilty as hell of that too. Right, but I mean, in this instinct, I'm uh, this instance. I mean, the church is a good thing, like a, a source of um, strength and resources, actual resources in a, in a community. Yeah, totally. I mean, a lot of uh, a lot of smaller communities in rural America, the church is the main social organization. Or even in a place like Hollywood, where I work, churches are one of the main sources of food pantries, and. Um, uh, showers you know yeah i believe it 
Uh, but sorry, you were bringing that. No, up. I mean that's that's all I had to say on that. Okay. So I mean, you're frustrated. Are you frustrated by the lack, like, of my generations? I mean, do you try to engage with people? We're the like... same generation, Joe. I'm 32. I'm still a millennial. Oh, I meant I'm in our generation. Okay, <laughs> bro, ham. Let me take. Uh, anyway, I'm gonna make a dumb millennial I'm, joke. I'm wearing a three-piece suit right now. <laughs> Have you? Uh, I mean, how do you even like? Is there any? Do Do you feel hopeless in trying to get people more involved with civics? Well, and that I, I before this job, I mean, it, I feel extremely lucky because. I have a job where I get to do that. But before this job, I was just as disconnected as anybody else. Part of the problem. Um, so I'm extremely lucky in that regard. Mm. Um, and so, and your job, I mean, m- more specifically, so you help r- remind me what your exact, like what's your, like your day to day. I help coordinate resources Mm -hmm. in Hollywood. Well, okay. So the county is broken up into service planning areas uh, called, those are called spas and there are eight spas in LA County. And I work as part of the spa four, which is the LA Metro. And even with, because that is such a dense densely populated area Mm -hmm. it is broken up into essentially sub spas which are called hubs Mm -hmm. so i coordinate services in the hollywood hub for the purpose of the service the services but the overall purpose of helping connect people to housing opportunities which means fair market like something you'd find on craigslist as well as permanent supportive housing which are vouchers and subsidies gotcha why do you think that outside, I mean, in, you know, churches are only one, as you said, you said churches are even in Hollywood are the biggest. They're, they're uh, uh, definitely a, um, a stable source of resources for people in need. I mean, why do you think that we have in our society that we clearly have the means to, to allocate more resources towards homelessness, but it, it never seems like it's anywhere close to enough, like from a governmental standpoint. I mean, why do you think that is? Well, I think in LA, I think it is lucrative. I, I think that there is such a massive inf- infrastructure that's meant to work on this problem or and problems like it um, that not enough of it trickles down to actually connecting people to resources. So bureaucracy. Yes. Yeah. Uh, redundant and unnecessary layers of bureaucracy. I mean, I think if you got rid of the entire homeless service infrastructure and just kept outreach workers, case managers and on site supportive services, um, you know, like, uh, mental health services on, on, um, at apartment complexes, that's all you would need. Government bureaucracy sounds like uh, that's the conservative argument. That's an interesting that's thing. It, tr- truly, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I don't. Well, I mean, that's also that argument on their side is bullshit because what they end up doing is just contracting out to private right. agencies and also, but still doing government work. But also, they think that uh, businesses, you know, less government and more businesses, but businesses are just another uh, or its own form of tyranny so right that's where i disagree and that's where and that's also where i mean that's why we have government is government has to ideally we need government to take care of the things that the market has no incentive to take care or of or protect help. us from from the market right that that too that too but in the in the sense of homelessness it's uh it seems to me it's like if there's no there's little profit to be made off of homeless people inherently by trying to prop somebody up or trying to give them sustainable housing or trying to allocate resources not to that. As, yeah, not as much as market rate places, which is why there isn't affordable housing because there's enough affordable housing because there's a limit to how much your voucher will pay for. Yeah. So do you do you see I mean, are you uh, have you heard of like the idea of a basic income? Yes. Do you believe in a basic income? Yeah, hell yeah. 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 And that's the thing, too, is like, I feel like I hate when people say, like, oh, homelessness is so complicated. No, it's not. <laughs> there are a million solutions. It's just that there are that many obstacles. Yeah. So there's a solution, basic income. That's certainly one. Do you see, do you think there's a, there would be a problem of people, um, I don't know, abusing that or people just wanting to stay homeless no. or anything like that? Well, in rare, rare cases, but it's not they want to stay homeless. There is people who are um, resistant to like outreach and, and people who, who um, say they don't want to get off the streets, but that's after a lifetime of isolation and a lifetime of being burned by the system in a million different ways. I mean, it's getting promised something over and over again in, in different ways and not getting it uh, is can be its own form of trauma to people who are often victims of trauma. Yeah. Um, because bear in mind, they're not interacting with, quote, systems. They're interacting with people, you know? And the, those people are subject to... Um, the limitations of people too, you know, outreach workers can be good or good or bad. Yeah. Um, and so I think your, your thought there of like, would people just like sit around at home? Uh, I mean, I'm just giving the other side's argument. Yeah, like they'd sit I, around, they'd use it on drugs. That is an argument based on the idea that people there, that, uh, there's, you can categorize people between, you know, active, hardworking people and lazy people. I just do not think that's true. I think that's based on an understanding of people that is false. Hmm. Uh, back to your idea of, or, or liberalism. I mean, that's what classical liberalism is, is that inherently people are creative and want to do creative things. And that I do believe. Hmm. And so the problem is they don't have enough, in a lot of cases, they don't have any incentive to be creative. Or no, they don't have time. Or time, yeah. They don't have time, and they're they're um, they're worrying about how to survive. Right, and you know it's also that's also has political effect because if you're desperate for a job, you're not gonna unionize. You know, you're not gonna if you're always working um, penny to penny, 
living penny to penny, you're not going to do anything that that threatens what we, your work. Um, yeah. What do you think would be like the single best thing systemically we could do to help help homelessness? Well, oh, to help homelessness, yeah. um, follow the model, the subsidy model uh, of veteran homelessness. And what is that? It's just more, it's basically more money. I mean, <laughs> it's more vouchers, more subsidies, and for a greater amount. And so, you know, homelessness went up across LA County, except with one population, which was veteran homelessness. Mm. So I think we just, and actually Mary Garcetti just said this, um, which is essentially what I'm saying. Uh, we have a model to go off of now. So it's not a mystery. Mm. And there are, are there other countries or other like cities that have, you think are like doing an exceptionally good job with it or? It's just so different in LA because yeah. it's so many people. Yeah. Um, is that just because of the great weather here? Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not, not just because, but you know, think of what Hollywood specifically offers people around the world. This promise of <laughs> yeah. fame and fortune and artistic, uh, um, expression and you know I met somebody who said he came out recently who's like our age who came out here to work on our quote. you mean your age <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know but just all a bunch of millennials hanging out and uh, said that he came out here for the weed fields <laughs> to work on weed fields uh, so like yeah. yeah there is this idea of what California is and what Southern California yeah. has to offer and like the and as you said with hollywood it, there's like a lottery ticket sort of vibe that some yes. people have yeah yeah um so more money that's i mean and then less bureaucracy ideal i mean can you get can we get rid of the bureaucracy can we clean it up or is it sort of a necessary beast the way that the system's currently set up no it's definitely not necessarily the way it's set up i mean i think that's also you know, I mean, I feel like all these, there are, there are multiple things that need to be happening at the same time. So there's no one solution, but yeah, I, yeah. Think, I definitely think some form of, of like these, this generation of young bureaucratic reformers, um, need to find a way to organize and, and find each other. Mm-hmm. Um, because also it's not just like, let's say evil it's not just bad guys i'm i'm guilty of this way of thinking it could just be it is complicated homelessness is complicated when you add all these different interests into it uh the housing authorities the developers the service providers um uh dmh dhs dpss there are all these agencies so when you add all these these interests in it's incredibly complicated um so I think it could a part of it could also be, um, you know, there needs to be better facilitation of all that, better coordination of all that, and people who are willing to to um, think about this problem with an eye, not just providing services to people who need it, but with an eye for how can can ideally things be consolidated or coordinated to make it less complicated. 
Mm-hmm. And something else too. I mean, statistically, is um, is homelessness higher than it's been than it was in the fifties, sixties? I don't. I truly don't know the stats of like. Then is this like the highest? It's ever been, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Now this is this seems like a massive, massive stretch. So bear with this massive guess of a stretch. Is it? Do you think it has to do with how overall we're less? Is it more of an economic thing, or is it? It probably is more of an economic thing. Before I even ask this question, is it because we are less religious as a society? We have less common morality than we used to. No. Uh, one of the county supervisors put out a report that said this, and this is what I, I, I agree with this. The, biz- the biggest risk for homelessness is poverty. Mm. So straight up. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's again, it's, it's, I think you can overthink it, but it's like, I think it's as simple as that. Yeah. Right on. Um, I can't remember last <laughs> last time we almost had you on. Did you uh, did we make up a religion? Did we do that? We did not. We did not. No. Did I tell you about the gimmick of that? Did you not? Wait. Do you not want to make up one? Uh, no, I'm happy to. All right. This is a pure pure gimmick of the show. Okay. Uh, it can be silly, serious. It doesn't have to be. Doesn't have to have any weight of it. Okay. So make up a religion. And, oh, are these questions. I got, I got questions. Okay. Yeah. Okay, okay, I'm not okay. gonna like <laughs> and go. Okay. <laughs> Um, so in this, this made up, this made up religion of, of whether you want to be a part of it or you just want it to exist or whatever. Um, what kind of God structure do we want a, uh, a monotheistic model? Do we want a a polytheistic? Do we want a a Buddhist thing where there's no God involved at all? Oh, interesting. I would say one of these two things, totally decentralized. So like thousands of gods. Yeah. Or none at all, where uh, I don't want to say each other, but like I feel like other people should be my limit. Do you know what I mean? Like what what limits me and and moves me and shapes me? What checks me is is other people. Like your community. Yeah. Okay. So the you are. It's almost like the community itself is like the is the god or no? not the community itself. People outside of me. Okay. So I'm still part of that equation. So you're not God, but everyone else is. But then each, yeah, pers- each person go. believes yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, like that. Yeah, but each person believes that. Yeah. Like that. Okay. Tight. And then- You're the only non-God. <laughs> <laughs> but everybody else has to believe that. Yeah, I like that. Honestly, I think that's that's actually, that makes a lot of sense to me. Especially when the problem is, so much of our problem is getting caught up in our own ego. Mm-hmm. So I like that. What's the overarching, uh, is there a main message or overarching ethos of this or a, a big, like, like in Christianity, it's that Jesus died for your sins and saved you. Jesus, God's son, he died for you, whatever. Buddhists, maybe, uh, you know, suffering is inherent to all human beings and et cetera. Mm. Um, well, okay. So let's stick with everybody is God, but you. Okay. Yeah. Um, doesn't have to be super complicated. Okay. How about you can help the gods talk to each other. Like so if the gods disagree. So your job is to help facilitate God talk. Hey, <laughs> 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 I, I like it, man. <laughs> okay. Uh, are there any... Because uh, it, it does... I mean, 
hey that's ideally that's what i mean to go back that that's like the best case of what we were talking about uh with what could comedy do or what could uh what what can we do in this climate it's faci- helping people talk to each other maybe right. even more so than me trying to talk to somebody mm. um are there any rules or sins do's and don'ts in this thing any kind of behavior strict codes i think anything that um yeah i i i just think you know being open to being open to rebuke, you know what I mean? Never, never closing off yourself or uh, groups of people to rebuke. Okay. I like it. It's different. I, I like this already. Cause it's it, usually that the one people say for that is like, just don't be a dick. Like uh, I've had that, that be the, like the main rule for probably half of these okay. <laughs> religions. So I like that. Um, are there any holy texts or holy scriptures or uh holy blogs holy tumblers holy pamphlets magazines uh just everything you know everything that that gives you a new thought or a new idea that's conversational right yeah yeah is there any kind of regular whether it's weekly monthly yearly gathering of some sorts yeah i think you know keeping it to some kind of weekly kind of like meet up yeah we we like the weekly gathering as people yeah I mean, it's also how often therapy happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Often, yeah. Imagine how world, how much the world would, would be different if the week was like 13 days or yeah. something, you know? Yeah. We just broke it down like that. And maybe like a massage for people. <laughs> so a weekly get-together with massages? Yeah. Tight. Is there, uh, is there music going on? What, you know, whatever, at your discretion. Yeah. Where, where are we meeting? Um... What kind of venue? Like a home. Inside, outside. <laughs> <laughs> this is like everybody's. My living room, yeah. Devin's living room, specifically yeah. Devin's. Oh, living not room. necessarily mine. But you I want the responsibility of that, or you want to pass it around? Yeah, everybody should do it. Everybody gets a chance. Yeah, in their living room. Is there any? Uh, is there any time for like meditation or prayer or anything like that? Yeah, all, yeah? all of that. Okay. Is it structured or unstructured? Uh, oh, okay. Um, yeah, probably structured a little bit. Like massages come at a certain point. Uh-huh. Coffee comes at a certain point, and then the talking. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Just like it'll probably end with the talking. Okay. Is there any time for repentance or apologizing or? <sighs> Not no no special time. But like, if you want to bring that up as part of the conversation, go ahead. Gotcha. So there's a. <laughs> it seems kind of like yeah. I see what you're saying. If I, well, I'm just saying that's a, as a, that's a facet of most lots of religions is this yeah. repentance time. Yeah, I keep on giving kind of non-answers where I'm just like, yeah, everything. Um, hey man, everything is is everything. That's true. Everything is different, and different things are everything. Yeah, I also think a big part of it too should be. Uh, you have to talk to somebody that you wouldn't normally be talking to. Ooh. I think that should be a focus of the church. That's a that's a good one. That's something I like. Whenever I've gone to uh, Quaker meetings or a new place, it's it's so easy to just go straight home right after the thing and not talk to anybody. Yeah, it's like there's so much of a resistance within me. Me too. 
to start. And that's the same at like open mics too, or mm-hmm. anything where it's just like, Oh, I don't want, cause it's, uh, there's so much unknown involved yeah. with somebody. Yeah. But it's, uh, ultimately literally, literally every friendship of mine has started from talking to somebody I didn't know before. Mm, right. So I like that one. Um, is there any, uh, is there any kind of, uh, youth segmentation or youth time? No, no, none of that. No, I mean, I'm young enough for, you know I mean? Uh, I wouldn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) You are a different generation. No, I'm just teasing. I know. I'm just teasing. Uh, Is there any service or mission or volunteer work as part of this? Yeah, I mean. Like somebody's like coming up with weekly stuff? No mission, but definitely something like focused on. See, I would want it to all be in your specific community so you're not driving anywhere like someplace ideally you can walk to localized yeah 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 volunteering and that's just and because you think is there a reason i mean is it because you think that's where you can enact the most change yeah yeah. Yeah. and how um that's you know it's going to be much harder for you to do something against the interests of other people when those other people are right around you. Yeah, you have to like run into them at yeah. the Ralphs. Yeah, you're accountable. Yeah, you're like, oh shit, sorry about that, man. Yeah. Uh, is there any uh, evangelism or marketing? Get out the word, get people involved, getting people around. Uh, Let them know yeah, about it. Yeah, you can expand your community, whatever that means. I mean, I'm not, I don't really have a head for that, but <laughs> there's an entrepreneur enterprising person yeah who wants to do that let them work go ahead do let it. them work within their enterprising attitude yeah yeah and finally um uh, what do we call this thing oh um <laughs> i made up this kind of faux f- philosophy in college and it seems fitting here pan communalism i love it <laughs> <laughs> It seems hey, fitting. College wasn't wasn't completely useless for us. That's true. Yeah, we got that out of it. Paying out in spades. Well, Devin, thank you so much for coming well, over. Thanks for having me, man. This was fun. Is there anything uh, in LA that you want people to come see you at or anything you want to plug? Just look out for your podcast coming up whenever yeah, that is. Yeah, this, this uh, check out a podcast coming up called pan it's called pan communalism that's not bad it's actually not even a bad podcast name okay look out for pan communalism on the itunes charts oh and uh is uh you still doing backyard bootlegs too yeah backyard bootlegs fourth saturday of every month and where is that again or you move venues right no just for halloween Uh, this one is at cafecito organico 534 north hoover silver lake you could not get more specific than that. <laughs> well, thanks so much, man. Yeah, thanks. This was great. That's the show. Once again, thanks to Devin Blake. Again, if you like this show, chooseyourownreligion.com, Stitcher, and iTunes. Love you guys. Jamaste. What's a creative podcast network?